It's Zookeepers, episode three, even though we don't have the full gang with us today, everyone is under the crippling weight of finals week, which is soon nearing towards us, final projects, final papers, tests, things of that nature. Uh, the whole gang, including myself, are preparing ourselves for just that. But even though we don't have a full episode, a full slate of topics to talk about, we do have a treat for you. An interview with Alan Pandiani, the Associate Athletic Director of UMass Athletics. We talked to him about his origins of getting to UMass, what's currently going on in the state of UMass Athletics, and what is to come here in Amherst. When we have enough time, again, after finals week is done, we'll get back into the studio and talk more about stuff going on around UMass. Again, college work is a lot, but we will be back in the studio talking about the stuff around Amherst that matters. Hope everyone got their meningitis vaccines, by the way. You do not want to catch that. Um, if you did get the vaccine, good on you. I hope your arm doesn't hurt too much. I got mine about a week ago, and it is still a little sore to the touch. Anyway, here's our interview with Alan Pandiani. It's Zookeepers here with the Associate Athletic Director of UMass Athletics, Alan Pandiani. Alan, how's it going? It's going great. Excited to be here today. Alan's a big fan of UMass. We tweeted him all the time going back and forth, and this was a long time coming. We've been meaning to get him onto the podcast, and now we finally got him here. Your origins at UMass. How did you get here? What kind of led you to Amherst? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, born and raised Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So I was born in Worcester, Mass. I uh, grew up in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, went to high school in Worcester. Uh, from there, I went on. I did my undergrad at Providence College, and I was a student athlete at my time for the Friars, so this Saturday's basketball game is pretty interesting for me because it's like my family versus my squad because it's like I have these intense emotional familial ties with everybody that's at Providence and part of the Friars program, but at the same time, the UMass Minutemen are my team. And yeah, so you're what, conflicted now exactly. coming up with this basketball game with uh, UMass Providence. Right. But um, from there, I, I really just knew I wanted to work in sports. I'll never forget uh, yeah, being at a Big East championship meet. Uh, I, was, I ran track in college down at Villanova. What'd you run? I ran the 400 and 800 meters. As I, I did that in high school. I mean, I wasn't good enough to be in college, but yeah, I ran that in high school yeah, uh, myself. Grueling race. 800 sucks. It it's is tough. awful. It's it is tough. so bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'll never forget being down there at Villanova. And just being like, God, you know, why would I ever want to leave working in this type of environment, this type of industry? So after that, I went down, I migrated south. I worked at the Georgia Institute of Technology for a couple of years. And I actually, that was where I first met Ryan Bamford, our current AD here at UMass, when he was the senior associate AD at Georgia Tech. And after my time at Tech, I worked for a sport, a sport business consulting company for a couple of years. And then it brought me back here in August of 2015. I have some pretty close ties to the area. Both my mom and my grandfather were student athletes here at UMass. I grew up you know, only about 62 miles door to door from campus to the house that I grew up in. So I've been part of this area f for life ever since I started out. It has been pretty interesting for me living in Western Mass because really what I've seen is it's like with this state, 
I would say it's like the personalities and identities of people that are from this totally state. Like, it's like it's it's almost it's like it's Neapolitan ice cream. It's like yep. it's divided into thirds. It's like you got your Western masses, your Central mass, and then your you know everybody that would dis- designate themselves as Boston folks, yeah, even I'm, if they're from the periphery. I'm, I'm, I'm Eastern Mass. I'm just south of Boston. I'm from Quincy, so gotcha. I'm, I'm I'm in the metro See, area. I, I, I absolutely agree. Quincy. I, I've known a lot of people. A lot of guys I went to Providence with were from Quincy as well. And a lot like, of people from Quincy now yeah. that I know who, and who, who go there. I mean, that to me, that is, it's Metro Boston. Yeah. But there are some times when it's like, it's a reach when people are saying, like, if you're from Weymouth and you're saying you're from Boston, like, that's a bit of a reach. It makes sense, like, if you're in the middle of California and yeah. someone from, like, Seattle or wherever says, where are you from? It's easier to say you're from Boston than right. from Weymouth. That makes sense. But if you're in the area, people know what Weymouth is. It's funny when people are... Oh, you're from Boston. Uh, oh, yeah. Like where specifically? Oh, I'm I'm from Kingston, Mass, or right. something like that. I'm from Plymouth. I'm from I'm from Lemonster, something right. like I'm that. I'm from Reading. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Norwood, stuff like that. That's not Boston. That's not 100 percent Boston. Yeah. It's you know it's funny because it's like you have that people that identify so strongly as Boston from that eastern swath, then Central Mass is and where I'm from, Worcester, West Boylston, Shrewsbury, Northborough, Southborough. You know, it's like we're all the people that the Industrial Revolution left behind. But now there's this boom of, you know, startup tech companies or biotech companies, you know, especially in Worcester. There's just this huge resurgence of people that are coming back. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I've never seen a place like Worcester where so many people still just only pay for things in cash and like don't trust modern financial systems. See, that's enough, that's probably part of the Neapolitan ice cream. I can never yeah. relate to that in uh, Eastern Mass. <laughs> I never knew that that was a thing about Worcester. Yeah. And then, you know, out here in Western Mass, the identity of the people and what it's like, you know, it really reminds me a lot more of my time that I spent in the Midwest on these consulting projects when it comes to you know, states like Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, I see much more similarities in terms of the way that the towns and legislatures and just general mannerisms of the people are in those Midwest states and, you know, Big Ten country, as I was, as I would broadly define it, and how it works here in Western Mass. Yeah, it's certainly different out in Western Mass as compared to Eastern Mass, living there my whole life and then coming out here for a few years. I love it out here. Don't get me wrong, but it is certainly different. Yes. You mentioned you worked with Bamford mm-hmm. in the past down at uh, Georgia Tech, hell of an engineer. Um, it must be easy working with him now at UMass, knowing that prior history. Yeah. I mean, something I'll say is people on this campus, current students, staff, People should be really excited that he's here and what he's doing for this program. Um, you know, he's made some unbelievable hires in terms of the new coaches that he's brought in. The guy is a relentless worker in terms of how much time he's spending on a daily basis. I mean, pre- from what I witness of him on a daily basis, every waking moment that he's, you know, in this area or anywhere, traveling, associated with our program, whatever it is, he is thinking about UMass Athletics and moving us forward and moving that needle and helping us find ways to be successful and grow the program, grow the brand. Um, He's involved in everything that we do as a department, and his way that he goes about his business is extremely unique in this industry. Um, A lot of times what you'll see is athletic directors that, you know, they they made their way in the industry based on 
being a great fundraiser or being a great financial person, like a CFO or having been a coach, like Phil Fulmer, who's now the AD at Tennessee after the events of last week. He was their historic coach. The bananas. And, exactly. Uh, situation. And he's, he's like a coach's AD, and yeah. he understands sort of all the nuances that come along with SEC football, et cetera. Ryan is sort of this like jack of all trades where he has a working knowledge or tacit knowledge of absolutely every aspect, whether it's breaking down financials, compliance and governance, student athlete health and well-being. I mean, he is involved in every aspect of the day-to-day when it comes to all of our working aspects of our department. And I know certainly in terms of like the fan interaction, you and Ryan both have definitely been on Twitter. Great Twitter follows. Uh, we can plug that at the end if yeah, you want. No get, get the cloud up. Yeah. Um, you guys have both interacted with the likes of Zumas and the Curry Hicks Sages of the world, yeah. all the UMass super fans. And I think... Um, Given, you know, maybe what's happened in the past and we haven't really had that sort of, you know, clarity and, you know, straightforwardness. I don't know if that's a word. I may have just made it up, but yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, That level of clarity is important, I think, to have from the athletic athletic department. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, something that and I I talk about I was actually on uh, Curry Hicks Sage's pod uh, two nights ago. With Ben and Carol. Yeah, with BK. We recorded a couple nights ago. Awesome, awesome guys. Um, that's BK tweeted that out yesterday. If anybody wants to give that a listen, but I, you know, when you if you were to do sort of this like forensic analysis of where all this came from, and uh, you know, I'll go right to it right now. Um, Dan Radikovich, who was the AD at Tech at the time that Ryan was there, that I was there, he's now the AD at Clemson. He responds to every single email that he gets. And it's like, that's just totally unprecedented because you think about like a FBS level or even power five level AD, these guys are probably getting somewhere north of 400, 500 emails a day without batting an eyelash. Um, when you factor in like all the CCs, BCCs, et cetera. And then that progressed. The next permutation of that was Ryan, who, I mean, the guy is so active and so straightforward and so transparent. You know, if you mention him or send him a message or email him, DM him, whatever it is, you're going to get a response. And I would just hope that our students here, our staff, understand how unique that is because I think you'd be hard-pressed to find an AD who's as responsive as he is across the country. And I think it's a great asset because – and it's something that I've definitely tried to model my behavior off of because – at the end of the day, and it's you know something that we become, I don't want to say numb because that's a bit pejorative, but we become a little bit, it, this is so many people's passion. And when right. you think about guys like Curry Hicks Sage or- the and not, not, not just you guys in the office, you guys on the yeah. field or the court or the ring, it's, it's a, it is a strong community. You might not know it if you're not from around here, but there are some very passionate fans out exactly. here. It's impressive. Exactly. And- when it comes to the students, you know, there's an immense sense of pride of people that go to school here because it's, you know, Massachusetts is one of those states that a lot of people wish they were from. And like when you go around, I've lived in different parts of the country and have gone to, I've been to 42 of the 50 states. And when you tell people you're from Mass, there's like this huge halo effect around it. And that's something that we have to take very seriously as administrators and ambassadors of this program is 
people care about this and the wins, those are going to come because I'll tell you what, I really believe in what Coach McCall's doing. Coach Carvel's already showing some success. In right, we'll, get, we'll get to those yeah. two in, in, a, in a few moments. And it's, it's extremely important for me, and it's something that I take seriously, to make sure that our fans that are investing their discretionary income, their free time into coming out to our games, i got to make sure that those people are getting the best experience that they can possibly get and making sure that they are – feeling like they're being heard is something that I keep top of mind on a daily basis. And you mentioned those wins coming in the future. With that, those passionate fans come, sometimes comes, you know, some may see it as negative, some see it as fair, you know, criticisms of team performance. You know, not for nothing, UMass hasn't had, you know, the success of a Power 5 team. Right. And that's fine if you're trying to build it up, you know, getting better and stuff like that. And I think the, the main... You know, thing you could point at to that is the football team. Football team, ever since they made the jump to FBS, you know, maybe not all the results that we had expected. Um, especially at the start of this year, you know, lost a couple close games. It seemed like it was doom and gloom in Amherst. Considering what happened at the end of the year, I know they lost uh, lost uh, last week of the season. That was tough. Um, but generally speaking, I think this season in football was a step in the right direction, especially considering how the year started. It definitely was, and when you look at college football programs and mass or at a macro level across the country, it's like a lot of those times you see like those Instagram sponsored ads. It's like the picture of the iceberg, and it's like one of those motivational posters, and it's like, you know, there's only so much showing, and then underneath is all hard work, determination, persistence, all that corny stuff. College football is a lot like that in that those three and a half, four hours that people see on Saturdays when they come out to games or watch us on TV, I mean, that is like 4% of the total right. output that you see on an annual basis. And, and thus, with, you know, the results in the season, you know, team, you know, competitive programs just don't spread out overnight. They don't just happen. Exactly. It may look like that to the average viewer, but, you know, a, Bo a Boise State 10 years ago doesn't just happen. That, right. that it's, you know, you have to build a foundation. Or a Gary Patterson at TCU. I was having this right. conversation about TCU the other day where it's like building a culture, building that tangible winning knowledge up in players is something that it takes a while. And I was... I mean, I was so fired up after our game against App State this year when we won in overtime. I mean, that was a the really— The backflip game. Exactly, the, the Logan Laurent backflip game. That was a really big turning point for our program because a lot of times it's like, you know, you have to do something to feel comfortable and have that belief in yourself and knowing that you can do it. And for any of the players that were on our roster, they know that they can go to overtime and win a game like that. And it's something that you hear a lot of times at these— NCAA conferences that I go to when you hear the Kirby Smarts or you know big time head football coaches of the right. world talk it's learning how to win because when you get to this level the margin they talk about this in the NFL a lot of times as well any player that's at this FBS level that's playing you know the the gap between talent is sometimes marginal especially when you know if you go out and play Alabama, any team that goes up against Alabama, there's going to be a big talent gap just simply by virtue of how many like five-star recruits they have on the roster. But right. outside of like those big power programs, the difference between talent is not super. It's there's not there isn't a huge gap. So what what factors into that? It, it's discipline. It's learning how to win. It's camaraderie. It's culture. And to your point, that's where we made some big strides this year. And I think we're poised to do something really big next year. 
um, especially factoring in a favorable schedule next year, um, including five games here in Amherst and then one that will be at a TBD neutral site when we play BYU. Mm, TBD neutral site. Do you think it's going to be out west or do you think it's going to be more eastern? Uh, I think it'll be more eastern. More eastern? Yeah, we're evaluating a couple different options right now. and then Can you should... disclose what any of those are? <laughs> I'm, I'm not at liberty to right now, but um, I think either would get people very excited. Right, yes, absolutely. And people seemed excited after and before the uh, Fenway game. You know, yeah. they, That seemed to be well-received. Um, I, I think we could probably expect more from UMass football in the future with that. No, yeah. try to try to you know integrate stuff like that for to increase the fan experience. Yeah, I mean when you look at how many living alums we have in Metro Boston or within that you know 128 perimeter, uh, we got to be doing a lot in the Boston area, and that's why you see like when our hoops team played at Harvard a few weeks back or right after the day after the Fenway game actually. Um, we have so many alums there that it, it sort of it behooves us to get our programs, no matter what the program is, in the metro Boston area as much as we can. Absolutely, and that's a good transition into the hoops team and the hockey team. Um, obviously, new coach with the basketball team this year and a fairly new coach for the hockey team, trying to change up what's going on with those two programs. Um, basketball is out to a pretty solid start, you know, Couple losses, couple wins here and there. It's still mm-hmm. the start of the year, non-conference play, uh, starting to wrap up, and the hockey team making huge strides this year. Mm-hmm. Um, what's been one of the more exciting things to see with these two programs collectively trying to be on the come up? Yeah, absolutely. It's the the sense of urgency is unbelievable. I mean, you walk through one of Coach Carves' hockey practices, or Coach McCall, or Coach Verdi's basketball practices, and it's just like. Wow! Yeah, the the energy level is just off the chain. It's like it's crazy how intense it is, and every minute is planned out in terms of what they're going to do, what they're going to instruct. There is no wasted motion whatsoever, and these coaches take the success of the program, the well-being, and potential of their players so seriously that it's it's infectious when you're around it. I mean, my office is right down the hall from our hockey program, and just seeing the level of commitment that those guys have on a day-to-day basis and the caliber of recruits that they have coming in, you know, the, the huge number of freshmen that we have that are part of the program this year, um, everything's just really trending up. And it already we've had some early successes in hockey. We've got a tilt against Union on Sunday this weekend, and then – uh, you know, it's really sort of like that. Ha- it's the halfway mark for our home schedule right now, and then you got sort of this mid-season break that comes up. I was going to say, there's a stretch until the yeah, next home game with the Olympics and World Juniors and everything. There is that little break that's built in, and then with basketball, I mean, you know, really big game this Saturday against the Friars of Providence College at three o'clock at Mullins, and then with Coach McCall and the level of recruits that he and his staff are talking about and have gotten signed to letters of intent and the guys that we have sitting out and as they uh, transferred in from schools like Memphis, LSU into our program this year uh, that will be eligible to play next year after the one year sit out. Uh, It's just, it's really exciting to think about where we're going to be in both of those programs going forward. And that, that commitment and urgency is certainly needed in hockey with, you know, going against the, the BCs, the BUs, Providences of, of the world, yeah. and with the A-10, one of the better mid-major conferences in America. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think when you look at the Hockey East at large, at 
we'll beat some teams this year. I mean, we've already beaten Providence, who was number seven at the time that we beat them. Um, I would tell students that are listening to this, you know, be ready when you come back at the start of the next semester because we'll be right into that Hockey East slate of games with schools like BU, like BC coming over here to Mullins. The Quinnipiacs and, and, yeah, of the and, world, teams like that. And, I mean, our student turnout for our game against UConn last Friday was awesome. I mean, we had just shy of about 3,000 students there, and it was, it was, it was sick just having that. The, the student crowd in Mullins, I mean, that – to me is like our biggest advantage. And it's something that I kind of feel good about when I go to these conferences, et cetera. I'll hear peers at major schools, oh, you know, we're ranked number 18 in the country in men's basketball right now and we can't get anybody to show up. And, you know, our student groups on campus here, like the militia, they've done a great job in helping to recruit new members and to help us, you know, build up that student attendance. Yeah, I know a couple games. members of the militia personally, and yeah. there's some good guys in um uh, they, they're definitely committed to yeah. you know, getting the fan experience up. So shout out to them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think we it's like the Field of Dreams saying, if you build it, they will come. Yes. It, it's on me. It's on my staff. It's on the people that I work with on a day-to-day basis to make sure that when students are coming out, they're having a great rocking time regardless of win and loss. And then obviously winning is that cherry on top that once we have that, everybody's going to show up. But what do we need? What can? What are the things we can do in the short term to make sure that when a student is coming to a UMass basketball, hockey, football game, they're enjoying themselves when they're there? And, and I, you know, when Mullins is rocking for basketball, it's a great, it's a great atmosphere. But I've always said that it's an even bigger advantage with hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say there's no excuse as to how you could get recruits because I mean, you know, it, again, you're in hockey East, you're going up against other teams that are competitive in terms of recruiting. But if you look at UMass's situation, they've got. I believe the biggest arena in Hockey East, if not the second biggest, just ter- in terms of capacity. Mm-hmm. You're playing in Hockey East, so you're playing up against premier competition, and you're in arguably the best college hockey state in America, that of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. That is a huge recruiting advantage. Oh, definitely. And I think that's something that really drew Coach Carve here when he saw the potential in the program. And we've made some serious investments in the program. We just built a brand new state-of-the-art strength and conditioning facility. Um, The whole hockey, their whole team area has gotten a facelift over the last 12 months. And the the guys that our assistant coaches, Jared DeMichael and Ben Barr, are talking to and recruiting to come here, I mean, this thing I think is really going to take off, and it already has. Perfect. Now for you, your personal job, again, Associate Athletic Director, and you help run the sales and fan experience mm-hmm. for UMass Athletics. There's got to be some good and bad that comes with the job. What do you think are your some of your favorite parts of the job and maybe mm-hmm. not so favorite parts, the tougher parts that come with the gig? Yeah, I mean, you know, the best – or I'll start with the tough ones first because that's how you should always go right, about yeah. stuff. Um, you know, because it is a passion of so many people, you know, I get a lot of tough emails to read and – things that people feel comfortable coming up to me and voicing their concerns. And sometimes I have to tell them news or information that isn't exactly what they want to hear. But I pride myself on being honest and upfront with them when I can. Um, I mean, it has been tough having to, you know, manufacture excitement or manufacture people's positive sentiments towards the program when you don't have a ton of wins to hang your hat on I mean that that has definitely been my biggest learning as well as 
figuring out how to grind it out, how to make sure, I mean, and I think that's really been evidenced in our renewal rates of season tickets. We've done an unbelievable job at renewing people because we've built out such great values around having season tickets, like making our tickets flexible. So I'll just do a quick talk on what flexible season tickets mean. You know, if you're uh, Tyler O'Day and a recent graduate of the university. Shout out O'Day. And you purchase the OG two, Zoom mask. And you purchase two season tickets for football for next year. Effectively, what you have is okay. We were playing six home games, and you buy two season tickets. Effectively, what you have is twelve tickets that you can use at your discretion. So, if you just want to go to two games and load up six tickets for each game, boom, it's done. If you want to go to three games and have four tickets to each of those games, it's done. If you want to go to six games and have two to each, done. So. That, that's what we've done is we've really put an emphasis on making our product offerings in ways we're going about doing promotions much significantly more fan-friendly and makes the purchasing process more frictionless. Um, or, or one game and 12 tickets and just bring the whole game. Exactly. You know, you Curry, Curry Hicks Sage, <laughs> he's a big advocate of this for, with his men's basketball season tickets because he'll only Section make w. it. Yeah, and he'll only make it to four or five games this year. But when he does come out, he's able to bring his whole squad with him. So, um, you know, that's been sort of the, the tougher part is learning how to grind it out, learning how to be tough nose and a in an environment when you don't have a top 25 team to sell. Um, on the plus side, it's just been really cool for me getting to meet the people here. And uh, you know, a big part of that has been my engagement with them on social, engagement when they come out to our venues. Um, before every football game, I try to walk around and interact with people that are in the parking lots or sitting, sitting in the Mullen Center. And I mean, it's just, I'm a big people person. And getting to hear these stories of that moment that got people hooked on UMass athletics or hockey, basketball, football, whatever it is, uh, it's been a big blessing for me to be able to be around these people. Absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, sometimes it is hard to drum up that interest when you don't have those winning teams, especially in football. I think it was only 10 combined wins up until this year Mm -hmm. in, in FBS. But this year, again, it's been a huge wave of excitement I feel like you know more people have been going to games um and you know more wins have come and more excitement has been uh in the air here in Amherst that's that's at least how I've I've perceived it yeah and I think it's really cool to think about with the new changes in NCAA legislation there's this early signing period that starts on December 20th and lasts for three days and then the traditional signing day is on February 7th so I think that works really well for a program like ours because typically what you would see when there was just the standard signing day model that was every year previous to this is, okay, uh, such and such kid doesn't end up going to Ohio State and decides to go to Alabama instead. Boom. Ohio State has a scholarly to go offer a kid who was supposed to go to University of Cincinnati, but now, oh, wow, I can go to Ohio State, be a buck, I'm going to go there. Then Cincinnati has an open scholarly to go and offer a kid who, who, you know, maybe we were talking to them or somebody else. or It created that big domino effect it is, on national It's kind of, you know, a day. chain, like a food exactly. chain. Exactly. And now it's like with this early signing day, I think that it's really going to help out programs. Levels out the playing field. Yeah, exactly. Because typically that's, that's what you saw at a macro level was it was like that trickle-down effect on National Signing Day. And now it's, I think the coaches can go out and 
truthfully tell or sell this sense of urgency where it's like, hey, man, we got this spot for you. We want you to be a part of our program. We think that we're going to be successful for X, Y, Z reason. We need you to sign this dotted line and become a Minuteman today. That's perfect. Yeah, and I'm excited to see uh, what that brings. Anything we could expect uh, for game day experience, either next year, this year, anything anything that you're able to disclose? Yeah, I think the the big thing for us is in evaluating what we do, especially for football, students are at the center of everything that we're trying to do because – you know, at the end of the day, we're here for the students. This, when you think about what the real goal of this entity of UMass Amherst is, it's to educate 20, 27, 28,000 people over the span of four years and then put them out into the world ready to take it on and make a difference. And when they're here, I think a huge point of enrichment and something that makes somebody's experience as a student while they're here better is having really a phenomenal experience in and around athletics whether it's what you're choosing to do before the game or coming to the game itself and we're in the planning process heavily right now for the 2018 football season and there are a number of different scenarios that we're working through right now and what I will say is we are definitely going to be keeping students at the center of our entire decision making process and making a student's experience in terms of coming out to the game and attending as easy as it, and, and as enjoyable as it possibly can be. Love to hear that. Any alcohol at stadiums? I know a lot of people are going to be interested about that. I, I, I wish I knew about that, but unfortunately I don't have any information. Fair enough, fair enough. Hopefully one, one can dream. <laughs> um, right. Uh, last question for you. For you personally or Bamford or anyone else in the athletic department, are there any goals, concrete goals set for UMass Athletics within the next five years? Yeah, I mean, I think when you talk about what was discussed with these coaches as they came in, you know, obviously it's, it's different with our football program because currently we don't have a conference affiliation, but they have specific goals in terms of where they want to end up in next year, the year after year after that, in terms of standings within the conference. Um, you know, I think for us, a big piece is going to be getting to the point in both men's and women's basketball where we're upper third programs in terms of finish on a sustainable, continual Within basis. the conference? Yeah, definitely. Because I think when you look at what we have in terms of resources, especially for men's and women's basketball and ice hockey, I mean, we're right there with everybody else that's in, or, you know, I would say for men's and women's basketball, we have the premier facility in right. the league. And shout out and shout out, women's basketball just finished up a uh, big road trip yeah. in Texas. Um, who who was it? Names off off the top of my head, seven three pointers, I believe it was. Yeah, Genesis uh, Rivera. Yes, yes. Thank you. I just had yeah. a, uh, a little brain fart for a second, yeah, but yeah, no she was draining from downtown, yeah. uh, deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> but yeah, the training, you know, the Kennedy Center has been. Um, you know, that, that seems to be a huge recruiting tool. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would tell anybody listening to this, if you want to see inside that place, you know, just walk over and take a look inside or walk into the main lobby and just check it out. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful and it's a big asset for our programs because our players can go in there and get shots up 24-7 and it's they have a totally unencumbered mindset when it comes to being able to practice because they don't have to wait for any other facility. It's, it's totally at their discretion in terms of when they're going in there and practicing. But 
you know, just to put a bow on it, I mean, that our goal is to be competitive at a national level on an annual and sustained basis. You know, that's that's what this program wants more than anything is to be a factor every year. Within the next couple of years, I know I personally, one of the big, I, I want to see them in a bowl game. I need to see the Minutemen in a bowl game. I don't care if it's the, the Boca Raton Bowl famous or if Idaho it's the Rose potato. Bowl, no matter what it is. Yeah, the famous Potato Bowl. Yes, phenomenal, phenomenal name for a bowl game. Pinstripe Bowl. I don't care what it is. I need to see UMass in a bowl game. My favorite new bowl game is uh, the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. That's a, Wow. That's a real good one. The famous Idaho Potato Bowl has always been kind of like my go-to in, yeah, in terms that, of crappy bowl names. You know, it's funny. With the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, it's like it's always that game that just somehow is on when you're like home for the holidays or whatever. It's like December 27th, a few days after yeah, Christmas. And they're like out sitting on in your that, sweatpants. It's yeah. like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, and they're out on that blue turf. And it's like, you know, you'll see like a Conference USA team. It'll be like... Oh, it's uh, UAB versus Central Michigan. Wow, yeah, okay. Right, exactly. Uh, stuff like that, the, you know, the Kraft Fight Hunger Bowl. There's like a Bahamas Bowl. Um, the Poinsettia Bowl. Poinsettia Bowl, yeah, in, in San Diego, all that kind of stuff like that. But yeah. I, I don't care what bowl it is. I don't care if it's college football playoff, even though I think we got robbed. I think the community definitely look, overlooked the fact that we went undefeated in October. But no matter what bowl it is, I would love to see UMass in a bowl game. And I think that's a feasible goal within the next five years. Oh, Absolutely. And especially if they keep making the gains that they made this year. All right, Alan, thank you very much for coming on. Again, that was Alan Pandiani, Associate Athletic Director for UMass Athletics. Alan, we'd love to have you on uh, another time within the next few months. Have a good one. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys.